From the Film Society of Lincoln Center, you're listening to The Close-Up. This week we're sharing a special event from last month's New York Film Festival, where the cast and crew of Call Me By Your Name joined film critic Nigel Smith on stage in our amphitheater to talk about the film's journey from the page to the screen. The conversation featured director Luca Guadagnino and the film's stars Army Hammer, Timothy Chalamet, and Michael Stuhlbarg. Let's go now to their conversation. Um, I'm going to start with a director statement. I don't usually go down this route, but I was really, really struck by a director statement that was in the press notes. I don't know if you're aware of this being out there in the world. But um, you said that you like to think of Call Me By Your Name as closing a trilogy of films on desire that started with I Am Love, which I'm sure many people have seen here with Tilda Swinton, and A Bigger Splash, which also starred a mute, uh, <laughs> for the most part, Tilda Swinton. Um, can you talk about what about desire specifically triggers you as a filmmaker? Uh, I think it's because it's the easy thing for me. I've always been interested in exploring uh, um, what happens when you you, um, become a a subject of desire, Uh, someone that acts out uh, uh, or has a sort of uh, need to act out. Uh, the, 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 the need of the other. Uh, um, so I was, I was just, fi- I mean, we had finished this movie and I was thinking about these three films that were the last three I made. And I realized that they were all very tightly uh, linked to the concept of desire, but it was a different way for each of these three films. And some, I mean, I think that uh, I see a lot of, uh, I see a lot of uh, enjoyment. I see a lot of people who are, I see that we are all often driven by the need of the, 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 to have everything immediately and to, and to fulfill an incredible crave to have everything in the, immediately just to be left hollow and in need of more. Mm. And I think that is a sort of, uh, um, um, let's say, um, adolescent, uh, over, over, overgrown adolescents we're living into more. I mean, I see this around me and in me probably. So I felt like desire is a more mature coming of, of age in a way, of being. Like you start to see things outside of you and then you, you start to desire what is in front of you and you question yourself in front of the other in its otherness. So I, I, I think those are the things that made me think of, of these three movies and why I made them. The first is a tragedy, the second one is a, almost a, a, like... Not a farce, but it's almost a sarcastic film. And this one is an ideal. And um, it's really reconciled. Mm -hmm. It's about someone who is young, but is still capable of a connection that is uh, pure, that is not biased. Now, could Army or um, Tim, either of you two, relate to that, that desire that he was speaking to and to the adolescent you know, panging for, for, for <laughs> one another. Did you, either of you go through similar experiences growing up? I mean, I, Tim, you're pretty close to the age of the character you portray in the film. Yeah. But um, could you two hook it on anything personal within yourselves? Whoops, sorry. Um, I, I, I uh, 
the thing that was always the through line for me as far as the personal experience I'd had in my life and how it related to the film was just the the way a certain summer oh so uh, first audience question <laughs> yeah uh, uh, that um, yeah just uh, that if certain summers in one's life can take a a, a, a tonal significance or a, a certain symbolism in your memory and they stand out as opposed to other summers whether because of a first love or or an experience you had in a certain city so uh, that was the closest I came to it but as far as the fire you know the f very fiery and passionate and ultimately heartbreaking romance the uh, that Oliver and Elio experience I, I haven't come close to that so I gotta say you sell the hell out of it <laughs> for someone who hasn't experienced that it's pretty remarkable did you rely on an uh, army at all? I'm sure you've been through a little more heartbreak than, than Tim at this point in your life. I think it's just age. You'll get there, dude. <laughs> oh, no, there's been heartbreak, but, yeah. but anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, this is one of the base things that this film deals with is sort of like the nature of desire and the nature of locating, isolating, figuring out that thing inside of you and what it is and are you repressing it are you being healthy and integrating it into your whole life as a whole it's uh you know i mean desires a really powerful human emotion and you see sort of like the fruition of how beautiful it can be in this situation but i know that also if you take that desire and you don't handle it properly it can eat you alive now, uh, not to say the word again, but despite desire being the through line of these three films that we just talked about, this film didn't really come to you in a normal way. I mean, it's been 10 years in the making, but you weren't initially attached to it as a director. Can you talk about the process of how you actually came on to the project? I think you started first as a consultant. Yeah, I spent so some long time... Uh, uh, in my adolescence, dreaming the movies I wanted to make and not, make, not being able to make them <laughs> to date. Actually, the first movie that I dreamt of making since my childhood, adolescence is Suspiria, that I eventually made. Uh, uh, but, so I, I, I learned that things that come to you, it's, they, they don't need to generate from you. They can come to you, you can be open to things, and, and maybe they become yours. Uh, in the specific case, I've been approached by Peter Spears and I, Howard Roseman, uh, who started the process of uh, trying to translate uh, the beautiful, um, fantastic novel by Andrea Asiman uh, into a film, I think 10 years ago, right? Ten and a half. <laughs> and because the book is set in an undeclared city called B, village, in, in Italy, they wanted to know from me if I could understand where it was. And it's interesting because I, when they approached me about that, it was when I was prepping uh, um, I Am Love. And I Am Love is, um, part of it is, is, is set very nearby the place where André imagined the story of this film. Because I Am Love is set in San Remo and the next the following city after San Remo is Bordighera, B. And so I started to talk about, I started to be involved in to this project as a sort of consultant. Like, uh, where is that? How do you, how could you conceive a movie shot in Italy that has to be, in a way, American in its DNA? Um, 
And uh, there were many, many variations, incarnations, attempts to make this film. Many, many, many. We were, we were rolling the names and the people before on the backstage. Can you give us an exclusive on any major no. filmmakers that were previously in, in the future? In the future, <laughs> in okay. time. Once it's out. And, um, and every year was like a stop and go. Every year was very frustrating because it was difficult. Because we knew, we knew that the book was amazing and there was a way to make this movie into uh, a good piece of material. And, uh, and finally, and after a long process in which with the involvement of the, the, the legendary James Ivory, uh, who is a friend of mine, and who is a friend of Peter, and who is a friend of Howard, and who was involved as a sort of godfather to this film, who, who came to see me in my house, where we, sh not, we, sh we shot in the house, but in the same village. Uh, we started to fantasize and, 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 and uh, to think of how we could have made this movie uh, from this book. You know, the privilege of being a filmmaker and having friends that are all colleagues is that you can be with three of them and we can all make a movie with an iPhone, you know? Like, yeah. You know, it's easy. You don't need a contract, you know? Like, you do, you do it. And we were with, with James, so let's do it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you shot this on 35 millimeter, very, very yeah, different. Which is very <laughs> low, it's very, how do you say, it's very low technology today. Mm. Now it's all about 65 digital and things, bullshit and so on. <laughs> Um, but I have respect for 65 millimeters film. <laughs> okay. Film. Yeah. I think that uh, what uh, Heute von Heute made with uh, Nolan is uh, outstanding and astonishing. Yeah. Well, then, so just give us the short rundown of how exactly you landed the project, how that all worked out in the end. Uh, well, I don't know. I think because of them. I, yeah. Yeah, it's because of them. So let them speak. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's open it up. I was gonna, I was gonna bring it to these guys soon. Um, casting is so important, obviously, in a film where chemistry is everything. Did Army and Tim chemistry test? Did you guys just read the script and both respond to it? It gets signed on the dot. What was the process of you both coming onto the film? Well, I met with uh, Luca let's, four years ago. Um, a couple blocks from here, actually, and we got breakfast together. And then I met with James Ivory soon after that. And uh, there was kind of a loose plan to put it together that summer, but it, but it never came around. And it always seemed like the project that was too good to come true and that the opportunity that always on paper seemed like a dream role, but that it, it wasn't going to happen. And <laughs> because of powers that are way ahead of my pay grade, eventually it did. And... Uh, and I got out to Italy about a month early, and I think I met Army a couple of a weeks before we started to film. I was in the middle of a, one of the piano lessons for the film, and Army barged in. It's like this. Uh, and then Mr. Perlman arrived. Because and and then, <laughs> until we wrapped, I, we, we, I think we met Mr. Perlman, but not Mr. Stulberg. I, yeah. Sorry. No, that's it. I mean, yeah. Yeah, and Army. Uh, I'd, I'd met with Luca maybe. Two or three years before. Yeah, I think we met in 2010. Oh, wow. so, yeah, so uh, I went and had tea at his house, and then didn't hear anything back for <laughs> four years or so. And then, uh, and then my agent called me and said, you know, uh, there's a script. It's Lucas doing a new movie, and I was like, I'm in. He's like, you might want to read it first. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay. It's an Italian. Yeah, yeah. That, that would have been a shock. But then I I read the script and. After having several really great conversations with Luca, I came to the conclusion that there was no way I couldn't do this movie. Yeah. 
And Michael, your character has uh, the emotional highlight of the film, in my opinion, uh, the monologue uh, at the end that destroyed me the two times I've seen the film. It's an incredibly empathetic um, monologue that you give. How, how did that play a pivotal part in you being really excited to take this role on, um, given the message that you're able to convey uh, in that moment on screen? Um. I think it was every aspect of the possibility of making this movie that excited me to be a part of it um, that was absolutely a highlight for me, but at the same time getting to work with Luca and then getting to work with these these young, beautiful men. Um, and uh, to uh, experience, we... Um, at least in terms of my material in the film, we shot it very much in order. So as Professor Perlman watches what's happening between these two, I got to watch them as well over the course of the making of the movie. And uh, to get to say what I got to say was a kind of climax to the whole time of making the film. So it... It, uh, it grew and changed in me over time, and, uh, and, and it was uh, absolutely a, a, a highlight. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Do you normally shoot that way, or was that just the case with this film? The chronological the, aspect. I think you always try. Yeah. You try and you fail, but in this case we succeeded, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but we did. Because it was contained, it was in the same place, uh, and it was easy to go out, uh, in and out of the house. Yeah. So now you shot this very close to where you actually live, correct? Yeah. How, how far? Within walking I think it's or? five kilometers. The house is five kilometers away from, but we shot many scenes in Crema, and we even shot in the, in, in the square where my building is and in the courtyard. Yeah. What was that like as a filmmaker to be able to go to your own bed at Fantas- night? Fantastic, the best. <laughs> Unheard of. I, right? I am really bored by the process of filmmaking. I hate it. I don't like it at all. <laughs> I, I'm not making a joke. It's true. Like the, the, it, there is development, which is hell. There is preparation, which is exciting. There is shoot, which is a drag. And then there is post-production editing, which is fantastic. So the part I like the least is absolutely the shooting. So at least this movie was less bad because I was going back home and sleeping in my bed. What is it, the actors? Like, what do you hate so much? <laughs> These 50 people asking things. And, and also, it's, it's, like, it's like the effort you make to make things happen. Like it's, it's, we all make an effort together, and it's like... It's the, it's the tension, you know? It's, it's very tense when, it, when you do, like, you have this scene, and you have this long monologue, and then you go, okay, action. And then you're like this until it's over because you hope that it's going to go good. But 90% of the time it goes wrong. And then you have to start again. I hate it. (laughs) And that's why most of my collaborators are people I've been working with since 30 years, 25 years. Because at least we can gossip, we can be there. (laughs) Look at us. Did you all get this sense while making the movie or was it a blast? (laughs) It was an ordeal. Um, well, about the tension, I mean... This, but then, yeah, in yeah. retrospective, I, I missed it. I wish I was there now, doing the mo- <laughs> shooting the film. Yeah, it was a great time. It was a great time, I have to say. And you all came to set long before the making of the film. Not long before, but like a few weeks to get acquainted with one another, right? 
Yeah, I, I came out about three or four weeks before, maybe three weeks before we were supposed to start shooting. I know, Timmy, you got there like longer. A, like a month, maybe a month and a half. And a month? So that never happens. Well, I'm, I, uh, it, Luca told me as soon as I was finished doing a play in New York to come to Italy, uh, as, as soon as the, the play had wrapped, just to get a sense of the tone of the town and just what the energy was like in, in, in a place like Cremo or what an Italian summer would feel like. So uh, I got out there a month and a half for that reason, but also for the Italian lessons, for the yeah. piano lessons. Timmy's schedule was fantastic. He had like yeah. Italian <laughs> lesson, guitar lesson, uh, he had the piano lesson, he had the gym. I had, whole, I had a whole schedule. It was, yeah. like, uh, it was like summer camp, except like getting to shoot a movie a with Luca. Yeah. <laughs> You had to take on all these things. What did you know how to do before? It was before? like preparing for a Marvel movie. Yeah, well, because, yeah, really. You speak French, you speak Italian, you play the uh, piano and right. a guitar. Right. And you, well, you do a little bit of swimming, I guess. Not really, you kind of just dip into a pool. Yeah, swimming, thankfully, that, that wasn't a learned skill. Yeah, exactly. So um, but did you do all that before the making of the film, well, just brushing up, or well, was the this piano, I mean, um, the, for what it's worth, the, the, I, I guess I had played the piano a bit in my youth, youth, you know, like seven to twelve years old, and but not to the level in the film. And I worked with a really brilliant composer named Roberto Solci, who lives in Cremo, where we shot the film, and I had lessons with him every day. And uh, and then by the end, I like in the film, it, it seems like I'm riffing them, or it's supposed to be improv, which is how it's written in Andre's book as well. And the reality of it is that up for a month and a half, I was slaving away trying to. I'll, you know, make it half of what uh, Andre described Elio uh, to be able to play in the book. Yeah. And this movie is really the definition of a slow burn when it comes to sexual tension. Um, how was that to, to convey that without teetering over the edge for so much of the film and having to really convey that with not words but with glances and when they do address it they kind of go about it in this funny way where you know, you don't actually say it unless you really read below the lines. Um, what was that like to play as actors, to not be able to fully tell, you know, each other as, as, as your characters what you were feeling? <laughs> I felt, you know, it, it felt tremendously freeing. A lot of, uh, I always like in the, in, in the film that the, the moment where it seems like the love is first revealed, it plays out in a very long, wide shot. Yeah. And... I don't know, I, I like to play things out in long scenes and so much of this this story and the book and the screenplay, hopefully how it comes off in the film, it is a physical dialogue and a push-pull and a wrestling match, a wrestling match of sorts. Um, so from the perspective of, of acting, I, I found it to be tremendously freeing. It doesn't feel like you're restricted by a, a frame that's only here and that you have to play everything in a close-up. It was also really nice just to do a movie that didn't have any exposition in it. Yeah. You know, not like, and besides, you also have to remember <laughs> that the captain is over there. You know, there's like none of that. Yeah. So, and it, it was also, it, it felt like a much more authentic rep, replication of how people actually speak. Mm -hmm. Very few people actually say what's on their mind. They always kind of, you know, I was thinking that, you know, maybe we could try this. You know, it's never, people are never direct. So to get to play that, especially with two people who are, incapable of being direct because they still have so much to learn about themselves and about the world and 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 who they are you know so you're watching two people really try mm. which i think f feels very analogous to a lot of the situations we find ourselves in 
How much do you all rely upon the source material? The book is told from Elio's perspective. There's Andre Asman right there. There we go. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Everyone giving a round of applause for the author. No idea he was here. That's amazing. Um, yeah, as I was saying, the book is told from Elio's perspective. So you obviously had a lot to work with, whereas Army, you didn't really have much to work with. You had to kind of create this this character to give him, you know, your own perspective, a personal perspective. What was that like for the two of you, and how did you, all three of you, rely upon um, the text of the book uh, with regards to the script? Well, I, I think it's exactly as you listed it. It's, there's a tremendous amount of source material, so if you get lost in a scene, you can easily go to the book and, and thanks to Andre's writing, figure out exactly what, what, uh, what your character is going through, certainly because it was, it was told in the, the first person of uh, Elio. So there's a certain abandon you want to have with the scene. You don't want to restrict yourself, but certainly in the moments where I was lost, it was, it was, uh, it was like, a, like a Bible of sorts to be able to go back and, and, and see what the character is actually thinking. There were things that I remember reading that were only in the novel that were not in the screenplay. So in a moment, here or there, uh, I could use it, as Timothy mentioned, as a kind of Bible from which to draw upon uh, to perhaps add some things. If it was only physical movement, it was taken from the novel. If it was there, I, I tried to steal it. <laughs> yeah, there was a great moment when we were shooting the scene in which Mr. Perman speaks to the son, in which you said to me, Luca, I remember in the book, Mr. Perman used to throw his, 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 uh, his paper on the table. And I said, yeah, and you throw the thing, it's fantastic, yeah, yeah. That's, that's from the novel. <laughs> As far, as far as sort of Oliver from the novel, so much of, so much of the novel is so beautifully written in a prose where it feels very much like sort of the interlocution of, of Elio. Yeah. And it's very subjective about how he's, because he's a, you know, an emotionally tumultuous young man. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if Oliver would come down in the morning for breakfast and say hello to him, then Oliver was the greatest person in the world. Like, look at him, he's so, he's so wonderful, blah, blah, blah. But if he came down and ignored him or didn't say hello, then he was a son of a bitch. Yeah. Like, fuck that guy, you know? <laughs> so there was, he, because of how intense the emotion that they felt towards each other was, especially Elio towards Oliver, the book is, is sort of like very intense in that way. So you kind of have to go through and decode like okay it's, it's up here so maybe I'll go here and it's down here so maybe I'll go here you know kind of figured out that way yeah. also Army just did the audio book so that's oh, something yeah. to check out yeah, yeah in its entirety interesting which was then really weird after spending so much time in sort of Oliver world to yeah. go and yeah. read the entire Welcome thing from to my world. perspective you know yeah, yeah. Hey, that must have been a trip yeah <laughs> crazy um Let's talk about the sex scene in the film, or the lack of, which I find really interesting, because the film uh, builds up to this moment when they first go through with the act, and yet your film kind of glosses over that and finds them, you know, um, being intimate with one another after that. What was behind the choice of not showing that on screen? I remember the script was pretty graphic in the description of the first time they make love, correct, guys? And uh, um, I was struggling with that because there is always, 
uh, it's coming from someone who debuted in 1993 with a short film that was pretty out there called Here. Um, and uh, I think that I think I'm interested in in, in, the, in, the, in the representation of sex between people. If that is in a way an insight about their behavior and who they are, but if it's an illustration of, if it's a sort of transition, I, I just don't care. And I think we had everything we needed in the, in, in the movie about their intimacy and their necessity of, of, of attraction to one another. I found much more erotic when they put feet on, on top of the feet and one asked the other, what are you doing? And he said, nothing. And you know, that moment is so uh, strong and so uh, uh, powerful uh, because it dictates an urgency of intimacy that what, what would have we gained in seeing the actual physical act between the two of them? Uh, I think not much. And I also like the idea that we, the gaze goes toward the window and to the, to the trees like in a McCarthy-era movie. It, I like that. It was, we, we were free to show everything and yeah. we decided not to. And in a way, it was a very liberating experience. And by the way, the fantastic teamwork of the camera gripping people. Like, there were like 10 people like, trying to get to the window during the scene. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> Much has been written. I have to bring it out. We had a little sexy scene between Mr. Perlman and, and Anella. Oh, really? Yeah, then we cut. What happened to that? <laughs> so you shot it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful and, scene. Michael, can you tell me about this scene? Uh... <laughs> it is beautiful. Maybe uh... what we, should, you should, we should find a way to show it one day. <laughs> Director's cut. Director's right. cut. <laughs> Bonus DVD extra. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Um, the peach scene. Who's read the book? All right, so we have a handful of hands. Um, I read that you initially uh, didn't want to include it in the book, or that James. It's Ivory interesting had because also Mr. Asiman can confirm that he was as as, as uh, uh, indecisive as I was uh, for his book, correct, for his novel. <laughs> Because the book is a wonderful Proustian novel, we can say that Proust said to his um, maid, Celeste Albarel, one day when she was, she was complaining about him writing Sodom and Gomorrah, he said to her, there is not something that cannot be said. It, has, it, it, it depends on how you say it. Mm. And uh, I think that for me the problem was that the experience of, of, of the individual experience of the reader reading that page... Mm which belongs to the canon, let's say, of the unfilmable. Yeah. And being myself an avid reader of very extreme literature, um, it is, in a way, uh, it was a challenge, but it was also important to, to, for the development of the relationship between Ellie and Oliver that we had that scene. So we couldn't grasp, I, I couldn't grasp the why and how. And you also but, would have angered all the fans of the book who wanted to see that scene I, on the screen. I, with all the due respect, I don't care. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we took very big liberties from the novel of things that are very iconic from the novel. Yeah. And I think we, we were right because the movie is, is another medium. Yeah. But then, I think what was great about that scene it was the relationship, the first part was the relationship between the fruit and Elio. Mm. 
and this kind of unconscious desire to use it for that mean, for that uh, mean. And, uh, and then the outcome of it, which is the second part, is when finally uh, those two boys, they, they, they realize that there is much more at stake in their relationship than just a summer fling. Uh, and so when we decided that the center of the scene was going to be the bone of the pitch and, and the, the way they could find one another at the end of the scene, it was easier. But at the beginning, I was struggling. Yeah. Um, to me, I, I found it more sensual than, than a sex scene, and even though obviously it's, it's not explicit. Well, it is a sex scene, yeah, correct. Um, but for, for Tim, you know, you're, you're just starting out in your career. Were you nervous, apprehensive about shooting such, a, such an intimate solo sequence um, as that one? Yeah, I think there's a certain anxiety as a young actor. You don't want to find yourself in projects that deal with sexual material salaciously or exploitatively. But if you watch I Am Love and you watch Bigger Splash, uh, the sexual aspects of those stories, they're in service to the story. They're not the star of the movie. And certainly, as you put it, for me as well, I think it's a metamorphosis of a lot of ideas in the film that love is boundless and you can't really define it. And, and the scene itself carries the the joy and the naivete and the instinctual sense of desire that uh, uh, these two guys have and then also the tragedy in, in, in the second half of it when it when it uh, takes a turn south. Just to cap this off with something sentimental, I want to know from each of you what the experience has been like of sharing this film. I mean, it received such a rapturous response at Sundance where it world premiered and then you brought it to Toronto and... It screened here last night to a 10-minute standing ovation. I heard that never happens at the New York Film Festival. But people love the film. What does it mean to you all that people are responding so positively to it? Oh, we hate it. <laughs> you hate it. You, you want it's it fantastic. this to be the it's, new it's mother. A, it's fantastic. It's, it's, you know, it's fantastic. I, uh, my trouble is that I still don't understand how I managed to be a director. So <laughs> it's constantly something that if I pinch myself, first of all, because I'm doing it. But then when you do something and you get this kind of uh, uh, generous uh, embrace from a va vast uh, multitude of people that you don't know personally, that they cannot, uh, you know, it's not about like showing the movie to your friends. It's something completely different and it, there is a very big responsibility out there when you, when you do and something and you put out in the world. Uh, it has been fantastic, to be honest, really fantastic. And, I, and we're, we're really proud to have started our journey in Sundance because uh, there was something magical about that night and the collision of all the elements. Big storm of snow outside and uh, that kind of audience. But in general, the audiences of this film have been very generous to us. So we're very proud, very honored and humbled. I will add, though, that this entire experience and, and the, the warm reception to Luca's film, it really doesn't even hold a candle to what the actual experience was of making the movie. So I have that. Yeah. So this is great, but that, having that experience is something that you know, will stick with me forever. Great. So we're going to open it up to the audience and then to Facebook. Yeah. Thank you. Take a question there. Oh, sorry, and uh, microphones are coming around, so please just wait. It's a small room. Hi, guys. Uh, my name is Kevin. Uh, Luca, first of all, I, I just want to say that this movie touched me very deeply. Um, 
In the summer of 1983, I was actually 15 years old, not far off from Elio, and very much in that confused and exploratory state. And even later in the 80s, I had relationships with not one but two guys who actually did happen to be graduate students older than me. So when I, this movie, it was just all over the place for me, and I, I really loved it. Um, but there's one thing that you did in the movie that I really liked, and I haven't heard you talk about this yet. I thought it was so beautiful. At one point in the film, there's a conversation where, and I can't remember where it was, people are saying, uh, what is cinema? Uh, cinema is reality, and then somebody says, no, cinema is reality, and then it's a, it's a filter. And then there's this scene where uh, I think Oliver's been gone all day, and Elio doesn't know where he is, and he's like, where's, where's Oliver? And he's sitting on these stairs uh, at dusk, and there's a Sufjan uh, Stevens song playing, and then you sort of break the fourth wall, and suddenly we're seeing the film flashing different exposures, and you see uh, the sprocket holes of, of a strip of film flash across the screen, screen, and suddenly reminding the audience that you are watching a film. Uh, and I, I, was, I just love this, I was really struck by it. I thought it was beautiful what you did there artistically. Um, and I was trying to think all night from last night, what did this mean, you know, what kind of meaning came from that? Was, is it because Elio, maybe in his mind the relationship, was, he was imagining the relationship with Oliver as this sort of perfect Hollywood relationship that would have a, ha a happy ending. Yeah, let's but let was, him ask. So why, that's what, what I, I want to know what, what, you, behind what, you, that, what that was about. Well, I hate gimmicks in cinema, and I cannot stand films. Sounds like you just hate everything in cinema. <laughs> no? I love it. No, it's true. You know, there's movies that are used, the, the, the tools of the technique, and, you know, it's easy. You can, you can play with them as much as you want. You can turn the camera many times, spin, jump, uh, whatever. You do whatever you want. So uh, it's not something that I calculated. It's just that the lab sent us the role. And it was, fuck it up. And we watched it with my editor. And it reminded me of the way in which Scorsese makes Jesus Christ go in heaven at the end of The Last Temptation of Christ, where, the, where, where basically, when he says it is accomplished, the negative of the, cam of the film starts to flip. And, and it was beyond, much more powerful than even the trip in 2001 for me. It was simple. And it connected me with the idea of the miracle of cinema, 24 frames per second. So when we watched that, we, we couldn't, we were so lucky. We, were, we couldn't believe how lucky we were to cut that material. The lab was really freaking out, insurance policies and stuff. And we said, no, 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 fine, we love it. And we put it there, and then we put, the, we wanted this, we already knew we wanted the song of Sufjan Stevens. And I, asked, I had asked the great director of photography, Sion Bumukti Prom, to lead the scene so that it was a silhouette. And uh, so we had all the elements, but also we had this new element. So retrospectively and really unconsciously, because it happened without me and my, my, my controlling it, I think it's really about the, 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 how ephemeral is, the, is, the, is what Elio is in that moment. I, yeah. It's my favorite part of the film, to be honest, yeah. Um, hi. How much direction you did of the actors and how much came from them? 
I think the, uh, the outcome of the way we made this movie is our communal sense of being together. It's togetherness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's about uh, trust, mutual trust. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and I don't think that uh, a good director should say to an actor or an actress exactly what to do. Sometimes for an effect you need, you may need it for a shot. Mm -hmm. But in general it's about being um, uh, in tune with the, the research. Yeah. Well, that was, it was quite, quite clear. It uh, it's, it I think it's the most bombastic and courageous job because it's so raw, you know, like for, for an actor to be an actor, it takes a big, big leap of faith. That, that's what I meant by internal. Yeah. And also I think that uh, I'm interested in, in finding them, the, per the people in the characters. To, to, to try to make sure that what we see is a combination of the characters and the people making the characters. I think that's much more fulfilling. And it's in the great canon, in my opinion, of, of uh, the, the classic cinema and its evolution afterwards in the 60s with the Nouvelle Vagues. You know, when you see a movie with Brando, it's Brando and it's the character, you know? Please forgive the audacity of my comment. I'm French. We are very audacious, like the, like the Italians. I have not seen the film. I've sat and looked at you and hear you, and I cannot hardly wait to see this film <laughs> because of the poetry in your sharing, because of your hearts and your passion and it's like cinema verite. And I am going to be f for an extraordinary experience and treat. Merci beaucoup. Ah, merci à vous, madame. Merci. Hello, thank you for being here. Um, my question goes to when um, the two main characters meet each other for the first time. So when it comes to romance movies, usually, love at first sight is a significant moment in a movie, but we don't actually see Elio's face when they give the first handshake to each other. So was that a choice to not have that moment be significant or having that portrayal of um, love at first sight being shown to the audience? I'm not very well prepared and educated by the rules of the game of how you put together a scene. I really follow what I think is the best. And to, for me to see this, uh, you know, he comes down, kiss the mother. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. I don't want to sound arrogant. I just don't know. And, uh, and uh, sometimes uh, for, for the speed of the moment, because you don't have a lot of time, you may hold on some kind of uh, uh, textbook rules, and, uh, and, and usually it's bad. In that case, I, I think we had all the elements. I wanted everybody in the scene. I didn't want Ellie and Oliver. Because bottom line, this for me is a movie about the family. And it's about the transmission of knowledge between generations and people. And it's so important that the foundation of that includes Elio, Oliver, Marcia, Mr. Perlman, Mrs. Perlman, all of them. Uh, and uh, it, that's what, it's a dance around the place in which everybody, they gather together and they start this adventure together. You weren't trying to portray love at first sight, correct? Or, or was that part of your... Your plan. 
Well, I think there is an element of that, yeah. in like some sort of like, wow, because the position that Elio has is of control mm. from above. So, yeah, it's, it's yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, huh. cool. Um, Facebook time or yes? Yes? Okay, yes. Facebook time. What does it mean? Uh, <laughs> sorry. I'm not Facebook. He, uh, the, the, we have a Facebook question. Exactly. Facebook Live. Um, Marie asked, this movie is incredibly emotional and affecting in a way that feels so close to everyone who sees it. Um, can you just talk about the experience and um, what it did to you that you'll carry with you for the rest of your life? But the question has been asked already. Kind of. There is another question, maybe? Well, specifically, what about the making of the Sorry, film? No, As yeah. Army said, you know, this is an experience he'll carry for the rest of his life. Why is that? What about the making of the film specifically? Was it the, all of you working together? Was it the subject material? Was it being in Italy for a month? <laughs> D, all of the above. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We could do one more. Um, this is a simple one. Jenna asks uh, for everyone on the panel, what's your favorite classic film? Classic film? Black and white? Or well, well, the first that comes an, to my mean mind. mean anything, yeah. Uh, Journey to Italy by Roberto Rossellini with George Sanders and Ingrid Bergman is, I think, the movie that uh, influences me the most. Uh, one of my favorites has always been Cool Hand Luke with Paul Newman. For me, I'd say Night of the Hunter with Robert Mitchum. Charles Lott. <laughs> Cabaret. Ooh, nice. Oh. <laughs> Good choices. Want to do one more or no? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so there's many people that have asked about a sequel, but um, I'm going to improvise that and say maybe you could just talk about your continuing friendship perhaps past this movie. And, or if you want to talk about a sequel, you can do that too. <laughs> First, I think sequel. we need a book, right? Exactly. Well, no, because as Andre's book uh, doesn't finish with the end of the summer. It keeps going for another 50 pages and goes through time in 20 years' time. So to go back to the first question, I think I personally have discovered my complete, absolute uh, passion for these characters and, these, and, and, the, and the people we made the movie together with. And because I am an old-fashioned cinephile, I think that maybe there is a place in which we could try to make a cycle of films about these people, the way that the glorious, legendary cycle of Antoine Duanel has been made by Truffaut. Definitely. I don't think that the lives, the lives, the lives of Ellie Oliver, Mr. Perlman, and the rest of the gang, it is uh, completed uh, by the experience of this very first film. So maybe, who knows? Oh my gosh, you heard it here first. Exclusive. <laughs> uh, would you all? It depends on them because you know yeah. that they will they do it? Will they do I'm it? I'm in. For? Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Oh, nice, but but Stulberg. Oh, okay. Uh. <laughs> Okay, I think that's everything. Um, thank you so much, everyone, oh, for coming out. Today. Thank you. The close-up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Michael Odemark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to the close-up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City, supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. 
To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, visit filmlink.org, F-I-L-M-L-A-N-C.org. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here.